0: Depending on how inclusive you are with your measurements and the specific numbers you're tallying, the global video game market is expected to pull in somewhere between 187.7 and 334 billion dollars in revenue. In 2023. That's somewhere between 2.6 and 13.4% above 2022 numbers. And again, those figures are pretty far apart because different entities keeping tabs on this industry measure different things, some only looking at direct sales of video games and in-game items, while others look at connected sub-industries like e-gaming events and service jobs that do customer support for game companies. Whichever end of that spectrum you look at, though, the global video game industry is a behemoth that is growing every year, and its income surpassed that of the music and film industries combined years ago. The global film industry expected to bring in around $92.5 billion in 2023, while the global music industry pulls in a paltry $26.2 billion during that same period. The video game market is continuing to grow at a fairly stellar pace compared to other entertainment categories as well. And while it was shown not to be entirely recession-proof, as had been claimed and maybe hoped since the financial crisis in 2007-2008, when it remained one of the few industries still growing steadily, that growth balking a bit in 2022, when the industry contracted by 1.2%, It grew substantially at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and has largely maintained that growth since, which has allowed entities operating in this space to claim more and more entertainment-related market share, which in turn has shifted the center of gravity in the larger media world toward video games and away from other leisure options including things like travel and vacations and other things that you would not typically think of as being competitors to the video game market. Since video games really took off, hitting the mainstream in the 1980s and becoming a truly big deal in the 1990s with the emergence of user-friendly consoles and 3D graphics, the economics of video games have changed substantially once video game companies sold games that would play on a user's computer but then consoles which are basically gaming focused mini computers that plug into a customer's tv or can be carried around in their pockets those quickly became the new default for many gamers creating a more optimized gaming experience though also introducing a new cost for game makers as they typically have to pay something to the console maker to use their tech and to have their products work on their platforms. Retail stores became increasingly important to the gaming industry's budgetary concerns around this time as well, as these stores needed to take a cut of the sale price of all the games they sold, but also needed to have the flexibility to offer deals to their customers, to incentivize purchases, and to lure them away from all the other retail gaming options. And further toward the base of the development stack, as games became more sophisticated and refined, game makers had to spend more money on high-end hardware, but also higher-end software tools that allowed them to develop the games, to polish them so they could compete with the other high-end offerings entering the market. And in some cases, they would need to pay to use what's often called middleware to serve as a scaffolding for their game projects. Software tools that are sometimes referred to as game engines. All of which has made the process of producing video games a lot more complex and expensive. And as the industry has become more popular, roping in more and more customers, more and more entities have popped up, intent on making their own games. And that has fed a spiral of sorts toward higher costs and more complex game-making processes, at least at the medium and high end leading to a lot of enrichment in some cases in quite a few new business models optimized for different platforms and styles of games, but also quite a few bankruptcies and hostile takeovers, even seemingly successful video game companies sometimes falling short or investing too much in a game that ends up flopping, leaving them with insufficient resources in the bank to keep the lights on or to produce their next product." What I'd like to talk about today is a recent scandal of sorts in the video game industry related to one of those middleware game engine making companies and how they are now scrambling to make things right after seemingly losing much of the goodwill and credibility they'd built up over the course of decades, essentially overnight. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. Learn more about Let's Know Things, subscribe to receive free email updates, and or become a supporter to receive monthly bonus episodes at letsknowthings.com. In early September 2023, a game engine company called Unity announced that it would be changing its pricing structure, effective January 1st, 2024 and that set off a wave of outrage and anger from its users, most of whom are individual game makers and game-making companies. To understand why this response was so widespread and vehement, it's helpful to understand a bit about how game engines work and their role in the modern video game industry. Fundamentally, a game engine is a piece of software that serves as a framework for making video games, So while it's not a simple click-a-button-get-a-game sort of setup, it does dramatically reduce the amount of time and effort required to produce a finished game product, giving users, the game developers of all shapes and sizes that utilize these engines, things like level editors, physics engines, rendering engines that help them more easily produce and edit 2D and 3D graphics, collision detection tools, which basically track and control how things bump up against each other within the game and determine what happens when they do, alongside more basic media tools like those that allow for the creation and editing of audio and animations and video content and text and other things like that. Modern game engines also help developers keep the size of their games moderated without losing too much quality. They help with memory management on the developers' computers, they can provide artificial intelligence tools, and software that helps them build out multiplayer functionality. It's a really big and powerful toolkit, so the engine that game makers choose to use is important and it shapes essentially every other decision they make, and in some ways also determines the shape of the final product, because of how easy or difficult things are to do within their specific scaffolding. Unity makes a very popular game engine that was originally released in 2005 as a Mac-specific product, but it has since become multi-platform, allowing developers to make games for all sorts of computers and consoles and mobile devices and virtual reality interfaces. It's perhaps most popular in the mobile gaming space, as it's relatively easy to learn compared to other engines, and is fairly lightweight. And because the mobile gaming space has been growing so rapidly, that's meant Unity has become increasingly popular and widespread as a tool, which in turn has had the spillover effect of making it more popular on other platforms as well. Because folks making a mobile game might then go on to make a PlayStation game next, and may decide to stick with the engine they already know. Or a gaming company might decide to perch all of their games on the same gaming engine, because it's just a lot easier, both in terms of keeping things simple for developers who then don't have to learn multiple different engines and in terms of the costs associated with using a bunch of different engines with different pricing schemes and things like that. The pricing model used by these game engines vary quite a bit from company to company, but typically they make money by selling licenses to use their products. There's generally a free tier for folks learning to use their tools and to make games below a certain threshold of popularity and profitability, but at a certain point, folks need to buy the right to use the engine, which generally also comes with a few bonus perks, like better analytics and error reporting tools. This system has worked pretty well for everyone for a long time now, and though some developers have balked at the idea of paying Unity and similar companies for their engines— opting for free and open-source options like Godot instead, the larger gaming industry has generally oriented itself around just a few primary paid options, including the Unreal Engine owned by Epic Games, the maker of Fortnite, among other offerings, and Unity, which since its release has been used to make more than 750,000 games, alongside non-game offerings like augmented reality experiences, In Microsoft's HoloLens headset, about 90% of Samsung Gear VR content, machine learning programs like Google's TensorFlow, and even film content like the backgrounds for the 2019 real-life version of the Lion King, and engineering blueprints like those used for cars and buildings. All of which hints at why so many people were up in arms about the changes Unity announced. Seemingly out of nowhere, their fee structure in early september the old unity model again included a free version of unity for folks operating below a certain threshold that threshold has been two hundred thousand dollars for a while now and after reaching that level of income folks would pay a monthly fee to use the engine and that fee would typically cost about four hundred dollars per year per game though it varied quite a bit as folks paid per seat that is per developer using the engine on their computer, and also based on the size of the studio and the scale of the game they're working on. Unity's newly announced pricing model, in contrast, would keep a free tier, but would remove some of the cheaper payment options, nudging people up to a higher yearly rate, while importantly also tacking on a small fee, somewhere between a cent and 20 cents, for each installation of a game that uses the Unity engine, after a threshold has been crossed. The announcement also said that Unity would use a secret internal method of determining download numbers, and folks would be on the hook in some cases for something closer to $2,000 per year per game, rather than $400-ish, though the number would also vary wildly based on a game's popularity and reach. This sparked all kinds of concerns as it was an additional fee on top of those existing fees, costing game makers more over time and without providing any new value in exchange, and because it was retroactive, so everyone who had ever used Unity for any game they ever made would be on the hook for this new payment structure meaning all those 750,000 games or so would potentially be new sources of revenue for Unity, but would be burdened with new expenses for the folks who made them out of nowhere. All sorts of immediate concerns bubbled to the surface of the gaming community, ranging from worries that small indie devs would be entirely priced out of the market, folks without big bank accounts to draw upon, and who are not making games that bring in tons of money, to concerns more specifically related to the concept of putting a price tag on downloads. Would trolls be able to aim hefty fees at developers they don't like by repeatedly installing and uninstalling their games? Would Unity's tracking software be legit? Would it differentiate new downloads from re-downloads? Or would someone who buys a game paying for it once be a drain on the developer's bank account forever into the future? because they might install it over and over again over time on multiple devices, despite only paying that one upfront cost. This outcry was also laden with a heavy sense of betrayal because it seemed to violate Unity's terms of service. And that outcry grew even louder and more betrayal-laden when it became clear, as folks went back to check the end-user license agreement they'd signed, that Unity had quietly, in the preceding months, gone through and edited its EULA to basically allow themselves to do what they had done, even though previous versions said they would never do such a thing. The first week after this announcement, as the gaming world unified against Unity, the company's stock tumbled around 16.5% from where it was before the announced change, which is the opposite of what the company had hoped to accomplish. Industry analysis suggests that the company is trying to shore up its numbers, never having been profitable, but finding itself especially pressed for cash right now and hoping to avoid being in the same situation in the future. What seems to have happened is they tried to do too much at once, essentially grabbing at immediate cash while also trying to scale up their future prospects by giving themselves a means of benefiting from the success of the games that use their engine. This isn't an entirely novel concept, as their competitor, Unreal, charges a 5% revenue share from game makers using their engine. But because this was new, out of nowhere, seemed to come about without the folks running Unity checking in with anyone in the gaming industry to see if it would be all right, and to see what sorts of numbers would be tenable for their business models, and because it was retroactively applied using a seemingly pretty skeezy secretive method of basically giving themselves permission on the down-low, after swearing up and down they would never do exactly this, to do this. All of it went over quite badly. The gaming world revolted against them near universally, and this has led to a huge exodus from Unity to other platforms, including the free and open source Godot which has quite suddenly received a wave of funds from some of the more successful indie game studios and newfound attention from folks who are learning they can relatively simply port their games from Unity to Godot, saving them the future hassle and expense and all of these concerns about the legitimacy of dealing with the former. The alternative floated by some gaming studios and individual makers was to simply pull their games from shelves, making them no longer available. And this was also threatened, especially in cases where the games are free to play, and thus they tend to garner huge numbers of downloads and installs, but they don't tend to make money on most of the people who install their game, which means these sorts of works would become huge burdens on the companies that made them and their ledgers, losing them money every year rather than earning them anything. It took more than a week, but the higher ups at Unity eventually made some noises about having heard the game-making world and feeling bad about releasing this new model without first seeking their input, and they said they would take another stab at things and get back to them. They then released a new plan, a new pricing model, that seems to have infuriated people substantially less, a revamp that still includes changes, but apparently less catastrophic ones. The new plan says that they will rely on game maker reported numbers to tally downloads instead of using a secretive tool of their own, and they've raised the revenue cap, at which point folks will need to upgrade, to $200,000. So below that, and you can keep the low-tier Unity Personal Plan, which is excluded from this new pricing model. And that roughly lines up with where things were before. And any game that makes less than $1 million in 12 months will also be exempt from the additional per-install fee. Perhaps most importantly, though, Unity is now saying games made with previous versions of their engine will not be beholden to this new pricing model, Nor would they need to abide by the new terms of service, which, among other things, says their games need to include a big made-by-unity splash screen at the beginning of the game. And only those that use the new version being released in 2024 would be required to pay based on downloads, though developers can choose to pay a 2.5% revenue share rather than using the per-installation fee model. And there's some indication that if they report install numbers, the company will choose whichever is the lowest fee for them, that or the straight up two and a half percent fee automatically and charge them that lower fee, all of which seems to have cooled things down a lot though a fair bit of damage has already been done to the company's reputation in the industry. Many game makers are still saying that they are intending to port their games away from Unity as soon as they are able, and that they won't use Unity in the future, because the people in charge of the company have shown their true colors, have shown that they are willing to renege on previous commitments and promises, and burn all the goodwill they've earned over the years in order to pull in more money to fill the gaps in their balance sheets. They can't be trusted, basically. The company is investing in a big PR push to try to win people back and polish their now-tarnished brand. But it could be a while before they manage to do so, if indeed they do manage to do so. In the meantime, industry alternatives have seen a huge boost in attention and use, and there's a chance we could see more entrants in this space, popping up to take advantage of the hole left by Unity's flub and introducing entirely new business models that may further innovate on what we've already seen, and allow entirely new game-world business models to arise and flourish. The book I'd like to recommend today is called How Big Things Get Done. The surprising factors that determine the fate of every project, from home renovations to space exploration to everything in between by Bent Flivberg and Dan Gardner. This book is packed with examples of mega-projects, some of them mega on the human scale, like projects that involve home renovation, and then some that are more societally scaled, like the Sydney Opera House and the making of a Pixar movie. And it shows how you can successfully approach these sorts of large-scale projects and more consistently come out on top, under budget, ahead of schedule, accomplishing what you want to accomplish, basically. But then why so many of these sorts of projects go massively over budget, take an incredibly long time to finish, and at times don't even accomplish what they were meant to accomplish in the first place. The folks behind this book are considered to be world-renowned experts on this topic. They consult on it. They go in to try to help people do better. And though there's a bit of repetition by the time you reach the end of the book, where it's the same concepts drilled into your head over and over again, the many and varied examples that are provided are great at locking these sorts of managerial and planning decisions into place and making it evident why they are such useful concepts to begin with. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of How Big Things Get Done by Bent Flivberg and Dan Gardner. You can subscribe to receive email updates, find show notes, and other such content, and support this show financially, receiving additional bonus episodes as a thank you at letsknowthings.com. Learn more about me and my work at colin.io. Subscribe to my other news focused podcast, One Sentence News, wherever you get your pods or at onesentencenews.com. And say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Instagram and Twitter, and Colin Wright on Facebook and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week.